Oh my goodness, you guys, today, this is the coffee celebration, and I am so happy to introduce Rena Friedman-Watts. She is a marketing guru, okay? She has her own podcast called Better Call Daddy, which I have to hear all about, but it's it seems like your whole background is in communications and how it's evolved into what it is today, um, and so if you just want to kick it off by telling us a little bit about yourself, I would love that because I can't believe I'm talking to you. Oh my God. That is such a sweet intro. And I'm very excited to talk to you too. Um, <laughs> I did see on your Facebook, you know, you said there, there was this quote on there about target and how sometimes you like roam around target and you feel like you're losing your soul. I just came from there. So that is so funny. Um, you, I, I love that. Needed? Did you get what you needed or did you forget it like I do? I actually got what I needed plus about 20 other things with my daughter. Okay. So Perfect. yeah, <laughs> at least we got the one item though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, my career really started right out of college. I, I worked for a radio station at Purdue and I thought that I wanted to work in radio. Actually, mm -hmm. I loved that medium. Hence, probably why I love podcasting now. I walked into a radio station on campus and told them I wanted to work in radio and turned out someone was actually leaving the station around that time. And so I started like a week later and I was reading the news and weather and I got to pull stories off the newswire and kind of edit them and make them my own and learn how mm -hmm. to run the station manually. And I got so excited by that. Yeah. So yeah. that's where things really started cooking. And then I got an internship too at like a local news station where I learned a lot of different opportunities there. I got to be a part of creating some local commercials, even do some voiceover work. I did floor directing. I learned how to run the, the audio board. And my whole career really has been trying lots of different things and kind of figuring out what I like and what I don't like. And so <laughs> I interviewed at a radio station after college. I didn't get the job, but I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns on the same trip. Yeah. So I ended up starting there two weeks later and I went from intern to producer in one season and really learned all the way up, like everything that people did. So from booking the guests to pitching the stories, to managing the budget, to pitching the stories to the executives, to getting the people out on stage and what that took, what kind of stories were they looking for, what kind of people made great guests. And that just sparked something in me where I was like, this is what I want to do. Okay. So you need to back up just a bit because I have so many questions about Jerry Springer. Is it real? Was it real? Like, <laughs> That's what everybody wants to know. The thing is, is like when I worked there, I really, in my best efforts, only tried to book real stories because those okay. are the easiest ones to produce, right? right? Like if something is actually going on, you don't have yeah. to push the people very far to have it unfold on stage, right? Okay. So there were stories of, you know, all of these crazy things that people called in with. The thing is, is if somebody said that they were related to each other, they had to actually be able to prove that they had to, okay. they had to show like a wedding certificate and they had to show their IDs and their names had to match. Look, you don't know everything that happens behind closed doors, but if they're sure. telling you do, they're doing that crazy stuff and they're willing to make out with that person on stage. Oh my gosh. 
right? So you piece it together. How did you get guests to to watch? I mean, oh, that's not hard. Everybody, everybody watched it. And and the thing is too is that a lot of other shows started recycling Jerry Springer guests. Even I mean, you saw Howard Stern with some of our guests, and you know Jenny Jones show and Ricky Lake. It's just even now, right? Like if you see a news story that's on and you want to cover it, I've had guests on my podcast that I've now seen on Dr. Phil. Like it's today the, you, you really can get a hold of people that are news worthy you can get a hold of best-selling authors. If, If you know how to reach out to people and you do it in a way where you know, you're saying, oh, I loved your book or, oh, I love your content or, oh, I would love to spread awareness around your story. People are pretty reachable now. Okay. So I'm still stuck at Jerry Springer. Okay. Um, So there was that big guy who used to like break up fights, right? He got his own show. Yeah. He ended up getting his own show, the bald headed one. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, Were the fights real? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that we definitely told the guests, like, you know, you're the mistress, the crowd is going to hate you. And what are you going to say when they call you names, right? Right. Like you prepare them for that, you know, or if you're a Ku Klux Klan member, the, you know, the the audience is going to hate you. So it was always a lot of good guy, bad guy, right? So people knew their role. Like, if you're okay. the wife, you have to stay where we care about you, you yeah. know? Yeah. And but what about what about the people in the audience that used to fight, like, tried to get up there? Weren't there people like that? I remember- yeah, that's because that's because they probably could have been on stage, too. To be honest, sometimes we'd book people out of the crowd. And the fi- the biggest fans of the show, they, they knew what they were getting into. Okay. And they weren't far-fetched from the people on stage. And that's what created such a ruckus was, right. you know, the people in the audience and the people on the stage were the same. Oh, my gosh. So after you did Jerry Springer, did you stay in television? Yeah. So after Springer, it's funny. I tried to take a sales role in the same building. I ended up getting another job at NBC Tower, but it didn't last long. I was like, if I could talk people into doing crazy things on national television, I could probably sell sporting event packages, but it wasn't exactly the same thing. And it definitely wasn't the same high. And I, I didn't, I wasn't really into it. And so I decided to move to LA and I didn't really know very many people in LA. So I had to pretty much start all the way over. But like I said, I took script supervisor roles. I took assistant editor roles. I took post-production supervisor roles. I took, the thing is that was really awesome is that since I produced enough episodes of Jerry Springer, it got me into the Producers Guild of America. And there was a lot of internal job postings. So I applied to one guy through Producers Guild of America for like a year. He had worked on so many shows that I wanted to work on. And he ended up taking a shot on me. He was like, oh, if you could produce Springer, you could do this. And he gave me a post-production supervisor role on Nanny 911. And I worked on that for three seasons from pretty much the pilot all the way until that show ended. And that was a huge opportunity for me. And that really got me back up to where I was salary wise at Springer. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that is, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the lady from Britain who comes in 
and fixes everything. So there were th- there were three nannies, and then there was like a nanny central. There were two shows. One was okay. Super Nanny. That was ABC. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah. And then Nanny 911 was the Fox version. So they had like a Nanny Central. And then each week the nanny like dispersed one of the nannies who was fit for the home based upon the situation. Uh Uh-huh. Did it fix things? I mean, did they really, the people take, like, because if I had to be on TV and have someone um, critically looking at how I could improve my home, I would for sure implement it. Did people really implement the changes that they suggested? That's a great question. And, you know, I will say, obviously, a television show needs drama, right? So okay, yeah. they're, they're always, back in the day when I worked in TV, they overshot a lot. So they'd okay. be in your house for like 24 hours a day waiting for a moment that would make Ooh. a good clip, right? Sure, sure. The nannies only go into these houses for like a week. How much can they really fix a family in a week? Can they give you some right. good suggestions? Are sure. they going to become your friend? Can you reach out to the nanny afterwards? Yes, all of those things. Okay. Okay. And I do think what's really interesting is when I moved back to Chicago, I ended up having a baby seven weeks prematurely. And there was a show in Chicago called Windy City Nanny. And I I ended up getting cast right before the pandemic. And it was funny to be on the flip side of that, where a nanny came into my house and gave me suggestions. And I was like thinking about the show that I worked on. And I was like, wow, you know, she did give me some helpful advice. Like, it is interesting to have an outside perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Like she told me you need, you need a support group. She told me like, you really need to have a tribe of other women that have, spent time in the NICU and you need to try to find other people that have babysitters and are willing to make recommendations and you really need some you time. And it's funny, just those even little suggestions you forget because you're so overwhelmed by this new baby. Absolutely. Right. And, and you hear this advice given to other people, but you don't apply it to yourself. So I will say like, are they going to fix everything? No, but can Mm -hmm. they give you a couple useful things that you might need to hear? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so I've been on both sides of that, which is really interesting. So three seasons in LA doing Nanny 911. What did that lead you to next? So not only did I work on Nanny 911 while I was there, I worked on, you know, a show for E where um and I worked for VH1. I worked on a bunch of different shows. The Nanny was the last show that I worked on, but what what the LA chapter did for me, I thought, was it kind of showed me that my skills were transferable, yeah. right? So now I am producing, you know, I've I've produced a couple healthcare podcasts, and I've applied what I learned about storytelling and about energy level and all of those production things to a new type of production, which really took off during the pandemic, which is working in an area I I never thought I'd work in, but I'm taking those same skills. Like marketing can be applied to entrepreneurs. It can be applied to healthcare. It can be applied to telecom. Everybody Mm -hmm. needs help with marketing. Everybody needs help in finding new customers or telling their stories well. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I've worked in lots of different 
verticals. I, I've yeah. even worked for a finance firm and I've, I've done marketing in that realm. I've also worked in the entrepreneurial space where I've helped organize lunch and learns. I've helped put together events. Right, right. Yeah, so, so I would say that LA really prepared me to be able to work in a lot of different areas. So from the time that you started straight out of college until now, you probably have seen the implosion, like the just explosion of technology yes. and social media. Yes. Because, I mean, I was born in the sev early 70s. So like tech, I go to my kids because sometimes oh, yeah. I don't get it and I need their tutorials. How did you, because you, you have to hit the ground running, I'm sure. How did you teach yourself? How did you, I, I mean... I'm sure that your, uh, how am I trying to say this? I'm sure your career changed and morphed as the technology just, you know, shifted and new. I mean, we didn't even dream about this 20 years ago, right? Like social media. Oh yeah. Know. Even how we booked guests for Springer used to be the 1-800-96-JERRY number. People used no. to call uh. in. Yes. When I was there, it was all call in. People were leaving messages with their stories. When I left there, we were just starting to get internet leads. And, and we were like, are we even going to get any good stories like this? Right. Now they probably completely at the end only cast it online. And it's funny too, like I helped cast for court TV. I helped work in divorce court. I even cast a couple people for America's Got Talent. All of those shows were scouring YouTube for people that are creating communities and people that had big followings and undiscovered talent that was creating channels of their own. Oh my God. If you can create a community and you can create a following, you can end up with your own show now. That's insane. Yeah. Oh and so you just had to adapt, right? Yes. And, and you can work in Hollywood now and live in Ohio. I mean, that was definitely not an yeah. option. Like when I was there, I was manually delivering tapes to executives at their house before it aired the next day. We were still handing off tapes to executives at the studios, you know, and even, you know, digital media has changed so much with mm -hmm. upload speed and, and file sharing and the <laughs> way that people can submit to be on shows. All of that has really changed. Okay, so you have your own business. Is that what Megawatts is? Yes, Megawatts Productions. Thank you. It's a play it. on my last name, of course. And, um, so how do you then get clients for your own business? As, as that's probably many one of many hats you wear. Yeah, so one of my clients right now, it's crazy, but I worked for a financial firm in Chicago where I was putting on these lunch and learn type of events. I actually met him there. And then I was producing a healthcare podcast in Chicago. It was a in-person shoot where I was managing, you know, a three-camera shoot and supervising the editors mm -hmm. and managing the web team and everything. So he ended up being a guest on the show that I was producing. So we crossed paths again. And then recently I saw that he was keynote speaking. I'm like, wow, your career has really taken off in the four or five years that I've known you. Congratulations. Amazing. And then he was like, hey, I need help with marketing. So he's my most recent biggest client is that I'm now helping him create 
videos and internal communication and helping him with marketing campaigns, email campaigns. And then, you know, I, I'm working with another healthcare podcast that I am their back end. You know, they have an in-house content writer that writes four or five approved questions. I create the intro and outro with them. I sit mm -hmm. on the recording. I supervise the edit and I hand it back to them ready for broadcast. When do you find the time to do all this? And I'm a mom of four. Exactly. Of course. Of course you are. And you have Better Call Daddy. And so what is that? What is that podcast? Tell Better me Call Daddy, truthfully, is a way that I keep my skills sharp. Mm -hmm. So I'm interviewing guests. I'm finding the best possible stories. I'm marketing my own brand and showing right. people like, hey, this is how you can do it. And yeah. the biggest cherry on top is that my dad does it with me. He's my hero. He's my number one supporter. And at the end of every episode that my dad listens to separately, he weighs in with his take and his two cents at the end of every episode. I love that. Oh my gosh. That is such, uh, the, the thing that's popping in my head, it's what sets you apart, right? It's like, here your dad is. And so I was going to ask why it's called Better Call Daddy, but now I know. And it's great. Yes. So Better Call Daddy is truthfully even a little tribute to Springer. Like he would have these wild and crazy stories. And at the end, he would have a final thought. So my dad <laughs> is the final thought. Oh my gosh. So do you have wild and crazy stories on your podcast? In the beginning, I really kind of wanted to do some shock and awe type of stories. Uh -huh. I interviewed a KKK member. I oh my God. interviewed okay. so, a... Tell me about that, being Jewish girls. Come on. How is yeah, that? Yeah. You know, I kind of wanted to know like where that hate stemmed from and how he's been able to reform. And, you know, I think it's important to talk to people who trigger you, right? Yeah. Right. And so what's interesting about him is that, you know, he was bullied growing up and mm -hmm. he just, I think, got involved for brotherhood, really. Right. Right. That sense of belonging. Right. Yeah. That sense of belonging. And he has since, you know, been embraced by Jewish people and okay. kind of changed his ways and He's actually involved in the Jewish community community now, and he speaks in the wow. Jewish community, which is amazing. Yeah, his name is um, T.M. Schmidt, and he even speaks to other people that have been, you know, in hate groups and okay. tries to educate them, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, I also interviewed a guy who married a friend of mine from college, and he was part of that in prison part of the Aryan oh. nation and now he's married to a friend of mine from college and he has interracial stepchildren and yeah he also has a similar kind of story where you know in jail like you have to find a group where you're not beat up you know right. and right I think that he doesn't feel that way anymore and he's thought more about it yeah. And he's willing to also have conversations around it, which I find to be interesting. But I was like, how is it to talk to somebody who you hated? Right. You know, how does that what did feel? He say? What did he say? He said he's even embarrassed that he was a part of that group and to leave that group, you know, you have to be beat up, you know, so. You have to be beat up to leave a group, to leave a hate group? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Just oh. like joining a gang and like gang initiation, it's kind of right. like that on the way out too. 
Oh my gosh. So that's how you kind of started the path on your um, podcast. Yeah, the path was kind of crazy. I interviewed a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. I interviewed a KKK member. I interviewed a sperm donor to 25 children. I, I was trying to get some stories that I thought would garner, you know, well, look at me. You just listen, listen to these. I need to put it in my car next time. Um, how did you find these guests? I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm connecting with people all over the place and you would be surprised. Everybody knows someone. And that's the thing too. It's like, once you have one good story or once you get one story that's newsworthy, you ask that person who they know. Right. So when you send them their clip and when you promote their episode, you say, Hey, I loved you as a guest. And who do you know that has this type of theme? Right. Wow. How long have you been doing better call daddy? So I've really been doing better call daddy for almost three years, but prior to that, even I co-hosted another show, which kind of like re-wet my appetite for the podcasting medium. And I've also worked for a top podcaster and kind of played in that space. I've I've worked for some other influencers. So I was kind of like, you know, I've been the, I've been behind the scenes of other people for a long time. Why not use some of my own talents for myself? And why not interview some of the people that I've kept in touch with through my television career? So I interviewed one of the nannies from Nanny 911. I interviewed Judge Alex from the court show that I worked on. I interviewed Jerry Springer himself, which was just amazing to catch up with him after 20 years. So I was like, I have these connections and I have a unique path. Maybe I'll do my own thing. Absolutely. Okay. So how does someone become an influencer? Since you mentioned influencers, that's somebody who like goes, hello, I have spring water. You want to drink this, right? Is that what an influencer is really paid to do is to sell other products? Or how I think do- there are some like that, but I think, I mean, you're an influencer. Anybody who can influence the thoughts of others, right? Or is willing to be vulnerable and 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 share their story and right. and be willing to open and honestly talk about things, right? Like yeah. you're creating a community in what you're doing. I okay. think we all have the ability to be influencers, right? Yeah. And I don't really measure my success based upon downloads. Like I measure my success by what people are messaging me in my inbox. And I can tell you that I I just have gotten so many really touching messages of people that after they listen to what my dad says about their interview, Mm -hmm. it's almost like my little gift to them. Like I know that my dad is going to summarize their story well, and and he's going to say something from the heart and, and that that can't be replicated. No, that's, that's influence. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I know we have kind of a connection with Kathy Heller, right? Yeah. So I, I did work for her. Yeah. Stop it. Oh my gosh. Was that, was that fun? I mean, you don't have to tell me, but like, was it fun? Was it? I mean, I learned a lot from that. I yeah. helped her do her initial launch of made to do this. You did when, when she talks about, so I did, um, made to do this in two years ago. So August of 2020, because I was like, um, I had just moved, well, not just, but it was me and my kids in a 900 square foot apartment, two bedroom, just divorced. And 
it came upon came across my Facebook and I'm like, maybe I am like made to do something more. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, but it ended up working out. And, you know, I'm still connected with those women today. And it's two and a half years later. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. She is really good at building community. Well, you helped her launch. Like that's because she has so many sponsors. Like, I just want to talk. I just want the interview. (laughs) And then it's like, you know, if you use this code, if you do this, did you create that um, platform for her? Like how, how did you get sponsorships? Like, how did you sell her? You know what I mean? The thing is, is like, once you're getting the amount of downloads that she is getting, I mean, she's getting like, when I was working for her, like 450,000 downloads a month. I mean, oh my God, brands come to you. Oh, they come to you. You know, and she, she has a team. She has a big team. And, and I think, you know, that obviously helps as well. She has people reaching out. Yeah. That's um, okay. But when you, when you start getting 10,000 downloads, even an episode, you can start getting brand sponsorships. The thing is for me is that I didn't necessarily think that was the model that I wanted to go because I really have to believe in Mm -hmm. what I'm selling and be using what I'm selling. And, And for me, I would rather work with fewer people and be able to make more of a difference. Like for me, my goal is not just to work with people minimally, you know, like her team was running those calls. Like, you know, she's only able to speak with a couple people and for a very brief amount of time. Like I like to be more hands-on than that. So yeah. I think that she's really good at building the community aspect and the people that, like you said, you're still in touch with the people that were in your group. Like she was good at facilitating people connecting with each other. Right. Right. Now I'll be honest. I didn't make any money at the end of my 12 weeks, <laughs> but I think. The and problem- most people don't. Right. But the one high I got was I believed in myself again by the end of the 12 weeks. That's with- beautiful. That's great. Yeah which I really, I had only missed one implementation call. And I just felt like um, for whatever I paid, it, it was worth it to me to have that, um, you know, redirecting that energy back into myself. Because so often, like you were saying earlier, as women, um, especially when you have a new baby in the NICU, you don't oh even gosh. think what you say to others is applicable to yourself, Right. And the fact that someone said to you, you know, you need to carve out this time for you. That was what that was for me. So that's wonderful. I definitely, I mean, one way that I invested in myself was I hired an editor. I have been working Uh with an editor for close to three years. I mean, there is no way that I could take corporate clients Mm -hmm. and do all the editing. So how you do everything you do now. I mean, you have four children, you have these, um, very high end clients, you have your own podcast. Um, I'm not to hire people that can do pieces for you. You have to, 
Okay. So you do sleep. That's good. Okay. Yeah. You have to invest in yourself and you have to give out parts that you don't want to do and, and that you could supervise better than doing yourself. Okay. So, you know, um, I what think- could you outsource that you hate doing? And what? if you got rid of something that you don't like doing yourself, then could right. you take a client? No, that's a great point. No, that definitely, because sometimes, yeah, I don't think I'm at the place yet where I could hire somebody um, to help with that, that component. I'm just in my second cup, which is, I call my second season of a coffee celebration. So, um, you know, I, I think it's good that, that if I ever get to that point, I will probably outsource some of that probably to my children who know how to edit anything, right? I mean, I don't know how old your children are, but I have three teenage boys and it seems like this comes so second nature to them, even though they're, oh, yeah. even though they're, they're orthodox, right? And they go to yeshiva and Jewish day schools. It's like, for some reason, maybe they got that DNA component. I didn't get, but it's phenomenal that they can just take a phone and set it up and, we're home from the store. It's insane. So I think it's really important too. like, if they have those skills to encourage them, mm-hmm. like ask them their thoughts on how you could make things better, because that mm-hmm. could even be a way to collaborate. Like I've had my daughter ask some of the guests questions and come okay. on and, and help me with some intros. I've gotten creative with her and she's really into TikTok. like teach me how to do a transition or, you know, my son too, like he knows how to create graphics and, and he knows how to drop in music, like I know. play to your kids' strengths and try okay. to involve them in your projects. It, it can be bonding and it can also teach you things. I bring my right. daughter to networking events. I'm getting ready Amazing. to do an interview when oh. I go to Phoenix for Thanksgiving at a radio station and I'm going to bring my family there to check that out, you know, yeah. expose them to that. How did you get an interview? Like, that's so cool. Did you just call them and say, I'm going to be in the area? I actually had interviewed the CEO of the radio station on my show a couple of years ago, and we've just kept in touch. Yeah. Like, I, you know, (laughs) recently I went to this pod fest pod Houston event and I, I got in a conversation with a woman and I told her about my better call daddy show. And then she said, Oh, I wrote a book with my dad. I was like, well, then we have to oh, no, do right. a segment together. I mean, two daddies girls. Right. And so she was like, Oh, I have a studio space. I was like, amazing. So we did an in-person and then I ended up meeting another guest who had been on my show that I hadn't aired yet. So we took pictures in person. And then the thing is, is like, you don't want a conversation like this to just be a one and done. Like anybody who you have an interview with, you should figure out other ways to collaborate. Like after we do this, we could do an Instagram live about like what you thought it was going to be like, what it was actually like. Okay. Right. You you need to keep like conversations going or, you know, now that I mentioned that I did that daddy girl segment with the girl that I met at Podfest, you could connect with her and say, Hey, Alicia, like I heard Rena talking about you, mm-hmm. I feel like I should know you now. Oh, absolutely. So really what you're saying is there no typical day for you at all. Your days just take on a life of their own for whatever's happening that day. You don't like wake up and do the same thing every day. 
Never. I Never. try. I mean, obviously, like if I have a client, like I have yeah. client calls scheduled, but I always mm -hmm. try to leave some room for spontaneity, even in conversations. Mm -hmm. I think spontaneity and not being too scripted, like you can have an outline. A lot of these corporate clients want their four or five questions outlined of what they're going to talk about, but yeah. you never want to sound like you're reading. You never want to sound like you're scripted. You yeah. always want to leave room for where the conversation can go Absolutely. and where the magic can go. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So I don't ever have a typical day either. I mean, I think that's just the nature of being a, a working mother and trying to fill your own cup with what we're doing within our own podcast and things like that. Are you located in Chicago? Is that where you are and that's where you're from? I actually just moved. I'm in Houston now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Going from Chicago to Houston. What did you do? Burn your coat on the way down? Oh, my gosh. How do you like it? I, I love the weather. Definitely. Yeah. We have moved twice in four months, though, with four kids. So we are just in a little bit of chaos right now. Yeah. Okay. But this is your landing place, right? You're kind of, I think for at least a bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Twice. Big move though. Months. Big move. Yeah. We were in Chicago for a decade and I had a lot of contacts there sure. and you know, I had two of my children there. Right. My kids really grew up there yeah. The pandemic really changed a lot of things. You know, crime right. was up and the politics were very divisive. And my mm -hmm. husband got a new job, luckily. And he actually grew up here for a good chunk of his childhood. So yeah. it's kind of fun to like revisit some of his old stomping grounds and have a new experience cool. here married, you know? That's really, really cool. That's great. And your kids are doing okay with the move and they're, well, kids are amazing. They really they're are. so resilient. And truthfully, I, they're all making new friends. There have been some tears, but you know what kids I see need and what we all need is special time. I yeah. mean, that never ends. Right. And like I just said, you know, I took my daughter to Target for an hour and we went li literally for some setting spray for her makeup. And we ended up spending, <laughs> of course, like close to 200 bucks. And I got something to wear for Thanksgiving and Right. I absolutely. got something for each one of the kids. I got a mug with an R on it and got her one with a C on it. And, That's you awesome. know, yeah. Something at Target for everybody. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that we need to carve out more time. I agree. One on one time, at least once a week with each person in our family. I mean, my mm -hmm. husband was like, can we take the baby and go to the mall and stick the baby in one of those car? stroller things oh, and yeah, yeah. like can we get a coffee and talk just the two yeah. of us or the three of us right oh, like I'm so foreign yeah right I feel like what kept our marriage really good for a good seven years was we did date night until this last baby just came who's three but we did date night once a week for seven years it was an investment but it was so necessary it we, is it we is did comedy classes together. We did CrossFit together. We did a couple of years where we just went to restaurants, which that's why we needed CrossFit and comedy after. <laughs> but I'm I sure. really miss that and need that. And, and your kids need that too, whether it's right. you know, going for a coffee or just buying them a new pair of shoes or some setting spray makeup, whatever your kid is into, like 
Yeah. We were talking about even with their editing skills or their technology skills, try to incorporate them into what you're doing. Even this morning, you know, I, I remember last week that my son wanted me to make a smoothie and I ruined the smoothie by putting banana in and he only wanted strawberry. So today I started the day and was like, let's make a strawberry smoothie. And how about you can help me make it? Let's put in just what you want in there. Right. Oh, that's good. So I've always wanted to ask this because I get so inspired by women like you that throughout your career, how have you taken what someone else might see as a mistake and make it into something that you've learned from? And, and you know what I mean? Because we all make decisions that we later on question, but like I look on at your career and it's phenomenal. I mean, just the the skill set that you have, the people you've worked with, the connections you're making. But sometimes I, I stick my foot in my mouth and I'm like, oh, I need to get that surgically removed. Um, how do you, you know what I mean? How do you take maybe something that didn't go as well as you thought it would and make it into one of your successes or a strength? I just want to, this is personal. I'm so sorry. I mean, trust me, I have made plenty of mistakes and, you know, even in taking this recent client, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy. Like you have good years and bad years. Right. And I've, I've recently had a couple connections who have done some freelance work for asked me to go full time. And that's what happened with Kathy Heller too. Like I was doing freelance work for her. And then she asked me to go full time when you're working for somebody as a freelancer versus reporting to them. It's a completely different relationship. Right. And so when I was presented with that again, I was like, Hey, like maybe we should just start 20 hours a week or let's start project base. I want to remain 1099. Right. Um, Right. So it's trying new things, trying, I'm continually trying new projects to see even how long I want to work on a project, right? Like sometimes I'll work with someone until I don't feel like I can really help them anymore. And then I'm like, I've really enjoyed what I've done. Who can I introduce you to? Who can I move you on to? So that's kind of a reframe, right? It's like, I don't need to keep a relationship longer than it feels good, right? No, it's so true. Because um, I remember growing up in, in I guess my generation, I don't, you know, it's like you work 40 years, get your watch and retire to Florida. Yeah. And it's so different now. I mean, I know yes, I, I really try to pay attention to when, like, I feel like I'm having wins and I feel like this is great. And I feel like I'm making a difference for someone. And when that yeah. And look, like work is not always fun, right? Like there are going to be things that they want you to do that you don't know how to do and you got to figure out and, right. you know, that's what they're paying you for, right? It's not always going to feel good, right? but you also have to decide like, is that your strength? Is that maybe something that you should recommend they use somebody else for, right? Okay. Yeah. Is it something that you can learn? Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to continually ask yourself questions like, that. Right. And I think it's important also for us to give ourselves a little bit of grace because oh God, yeah. I was always um given the uh, I hate well, I hate that it was like this, a job hopper. Like you had to give at least three to five years to a job to fully get the experience and find success and stuff. And I just really think I envy the millennials in this that they they're like, it's not working for me. I'm done. 
I'm actually sitting on a job committee at my university because I work as a college administrator. And a lot of the applications are from people who just graduated college in either 2020 or 2022. And I mean, on their resume, it's like they were at this job for four months, this job for six, whatever. And that's the new normal. You know, I had to really check my bias because I'm like, oh, they're a job hopper. You know, I was, I'm like the grandma, right? And get up the group. And it isn't, this is, this is how people are not going to stay if they're not happy and if they don't have something. And that's to me, when I think of the millennial generation, it's like, in one way I envy them because they check themselves. They're like, that was a bad decision. I'm not going to dwell in it. I'm going to move on. Whereas for me, I'm like, no, I need to give it three to five years and got a bad reference because I didn't move on in time, you know, or whatever that looked like. I was always of the, like, try to make it at least to a year, (laughs) you know, before I decide, like, this isn't for me. That's good too. There's so many things. That was kind of my number or a season, right? I I don't like to leave in the middle of a project. Well, no, I get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But But I will say that I've hired interns that are half my age. Yeah. And one way that that has worked really well and some big wins I've had by doing that is asking them, like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you excited about? What would you like to learn on this opportunity? Like I had a couple interns where they wanted to get better at writing. And I was like, hey, do you want to write my show summaries? Or, you know, do you want to listen to the episodes and come up with like a creative show summary? So I I gave those away for months. And I also gave them the opportunity to book guests. I was like, hey, what influencer do you think would be cool? Who would you want to know their daddy story? And one of them found a guest that, I had never heard of. He had millions of subscribers on YouTube. The guy had never told his personal story because he did like comedic reactions to 80s sitcoms. And his whole channel was about that. His name is Alex Myers. The moment I dropped that episode, it got like 1500 listens in an hour. So I think, you know, not only weighing into your strengths, but the people around you, ask them what they like doing. Right. Or what do they want to learn? And can you fit that into working with you in some way? Right. So do you find, because I really am interested in your perspective on this, do you find that the um, job um, hopper kind of phenomenon is just gone away and it just really is a new sort of approach to getting and keeping a job? Do you know what I mean? Like, is there anything that says that you need to be in a job for a certain amount of time. Do you know what I mean? I think I have a little bit of that bias that you have as well, because Mm -hmm. I definitely paid my dues. Yeah. Like I said, I interned at Springer for free for two months and worked 80 hours a week to prove that I could book the stories. I could entertain the guests. I could get them out on stage. I could wake them up and get them there that I could talk them into it if they were chickening out. Right. Like I had to, really prove myself to work up the food chain. Yeah. Even at Nanny 911, I was a post-production supervisor. I knew nothing about post-production. I had to 
figure out where I was yeah. needed in the department. Like I had to work with the editors. I had to sit in their bay. I had to be a second pair of eyes. I had to uh, supervise voiceover sessions. I had to meet the deliverables the executives wanted. I had to stay up all night at a layback session if they switched episodes the day before it aired, right? Like you have to be willing a little bit to yeah. prove yourself or have something to talk about that you did above and beyond, even if it was in a short period of time. Like, look, my, right. my husband, I guess, could be considered a job hopper. You know, in order to climb corporate America, he has changed jobs every two to three years, right? That's like not if, a job. No, I'm talking like months. Yeah. And, and but some, if you're I only spending, I would say four to six months on something, because I did that in college, I worked for a news station, right? But in that short time that I worked for a news station for yeah. four to six months, I had been a part of two commercials. I had been a part of a shoot. I had learned how to use the audio board. I had learned how to do chirons. I had connected with the anchors on a personal level, right? Like how well are you at fitting into the puzzle, right? You better have some good stories to tell in a short period of time. Oh my gosh. How do you even put this on a resume? I mean, you know so much. That's really funny. But like when I first left Hollywood, there were a lot of corporate roles that I applied for that didn't know how to make sense of my experience. To be honest, that's why you have to be able to weave it together in a story. And I've also gotten jobs. I, I went in with this executive. He worked on real world and road rules. He was an executive on those shows. He had a stack of resumes. He was like, look, I'm not even going to look at your resume. He's like, you've worked on a bunch of shows. Tell me why I should hire you. Like, you really need an elevator pitch. You really need to say, like, I can make a mute talk. I can talk yeah. to anyone. I am not afraid to walk into that house and get the story out. Right? right. Like, I'm not afraid to reach out to a news story and tell them why they should be on my show. Right. I even reached out to Katie Couric and, and, and I've. You know, I've gotten her to follow me on Instagram. Like, you've got to have balls. Oh, my God. Did you did you work for MTV at all? Did you do that? Um, I worked for VH1 on a show. Yeah, oh I was a gosh. field. I was a field interviewer on a VH1 show where I got to travel to six different cities in like six weeks. It was amazing. And it was one from knowing someone and two from having a witty one-liner and be willing to not look at my resume and just tell them I can do it. A lot of right. it is like telling people I can do it and I'm not afraid to do it. Throw me in the fire. 80 hour weeks though. You have to be willing to do 80 hour weeks, right? I mean, I was willing to do that in the beginning. I don't know if it requires that now, but it definitely requires being available. All the, were you married at the time with kids? No. No. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. But now, you know, I, with kids, I, I worked on a healthcare podcast for an entire year where I was doing a 12 hour day on a, on a Sunday. I was like, look, you know, I need my husband to watch the kids. If you, if we can do a shoot on a Sunday, I'll do seven guests back to back and we can release one a week. So I did that for like a year during COVID, you know, oh my gosh. if people want to work with you, you can make the schedule work. Okay. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, you've done so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And 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 I still too, I'm always like, what's next? Right? Like sometimes I'm like not appreciative of all these crazy things that I've done. I'm always like, what's the next project? But I am working on some cool things. And I for me, it's not just about like money. 
Yeah. For me, it really is about the projects and the people I get to work with and what I'm putting together. Like I, I really get excited by helping this healthcare executive put together a minute and a half video and giving educational content that he's never done before. And that we've known each other for four to five years and that I make him comfortable enough to talk to his audience in that way. I love that. And he was like, what equipment do I need? Can you just send me a link? Like he trusts me to the point where (laughs) I'm putting it all together for him. And he just has to listen to me and take my advice. And then he puts it out there. We have such a gift of storytelling. And I think that's key too, is in building those relationships with other people, you know, regardless of what their position is, it's that connection, your ability to tell a story. And, you know, I don't think you don't appreciate everything you've done. It's just helping you build that staircase, right? To the top. hundred percent. It all really, it adds on, onto each other. It does. And the fact that when you started out, there wasn't even what we deal with now. And you just said, I'll figure it out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. This is my jam and just keep going. I mean, my gosh, does that anyone just look at you and think you're pure inspiration? Because I do. Oh, like, thank you. Like, literally, I'm thinking when we hang up, I'm going to be like, what's my next thing? What do I want to do? You know, it's like sometimes we get in our heads and we're just in the day to day. And then finally, three weeks have passed and you're like, I didn't do what I wanted, you know, and um, yeah, I'm going to stop that business. Absolutely. <laughs> What, I mean, what about your job do you love now? How could you make your job now better? And and I started asking myself that, like, even when I was at that financial firm, right? Like, I started noticing that by me documenting the behind the scenes of these events that I was doing with the financial advisors, by me just doing a behind the scenes of these yeah. events and showing people what I was doing, I started getting CPAs reaching out to me wanting to co-sponsor these types of events just from showing them what I was doing locally. He was like, Hey, could we do one of these in Atlanta? Hey, can we do one of these in California? Right. So give people a behind the scenes view of what you're doing and what excites you and, and leave opportunity open Mm -hmm. for magic to happen. That's so cool. Okay. Yeah. That's the best advice. That really is the best advice. Um, to be open to letting that magic happen. Okay. That's it's so true. Go with go to things too, like that you have no agenda for. Like I went to this podcast, this Podfest Pod Houston event. And okay. I went because another podcaster that I had collaborated with told me about it. And honestly, I had no idea the location. I was new to town. It was far away. I drove through a bad neighborhood to get there. I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be like. I brought my daughter to be like my wing woman. Right. You know? I was like, hey, at least her and I can have like an hour together. Right. And I took note of the speakers and the presenters and the people in the audience and the questions that were being asked and the drinks that were being served. And what could I learn from how somebody else put together an event? Right. And who could I talk to that I wouldn't normally talk to, even if it's just one or two people. And look, I connected with one person who was on my show and one person that I got to go to her studio and I hope to collaborate with again. That's amazing. Ah, Okay. I'm so excited. That's great. What events are happening even nearby you in meetups? Mm -hmm. What virtual events? 
can you attend where you can maybe connect with one more person? Are you searching news stories that interest you of people that you would love to interview? This guy that I'm working for, he sent me an article a couple of weeks ago about, about this girl who didn't get a breast cancer screening in time. And he was, as a benefits coordinator, he was like, this really upsets me. Now she's in stage four cancer. She was on Dr. Phil. And I was like, okay, the guy that I am doing business with is interested in the story. I'm going to reach out to the chick who's being written about. So I wrote, reached out to her on Facebook. I was like, Hey, I would love to interview you. Actually, the guy that I'm working for, it, I love that he found me this story and boom, I connected with her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How is she doing? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. I haven't gotten to interview her yet, but I did connect okay. with her and I, I hope to find that out, but she was okay. recently on Dr. Phil and I was able to reach her just as easily. Amazing. Okay. So I shouldn't limit myself so much. Exactly. I hope if nothing else from this conversation that you start reaching further than you think that you're capable of. I love that. No, I'm going to. Absolutely. Yeah. If there was, okay, I know our time is sacred. So just one last question. If there was one person that you could interview that you haven't yet, who would it be? Either dead or alive. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I actually thought about that because I know that you ask like, who would you like to have coffee with or whatever? <laughs> There's so many people I'd love to have coffee with, but one person who I very much admire is Katie Couric. And you know what? I don't even necessarily a hundred percent agree with all of her politics, but she <laughs> is a phenomenal interviewer Yeah, and she has access to everyone and she covers stories in such a breaking news fashion. Yeah. And she did get super vulnerable in her book. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to have coffee with her, interview her, do an Instagram live with her. I've reached out. I haven't given up. Don't. She's a daddy's girl. She yeah. talks about that. I went to her event live when she came to Chicago. I shared that in my story. I think that's probably part of why she followed me back. Amazing. Okay, Katie. That's right. You have to be interviewed. By Rena Friedman Watts. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's put her name in the in the show oh, notes. Maybe she'll see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful you spent this hour with me. And I have to tell you, I'm really inspired and motivated to invest in myself after speaking with you. And it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've had that kind of motivation. And I'm really, really grateful you took the time out to get to know me. And I hope we can continue this conversation again. Is that all right? I would love to. And to Wendy Sue Steinberg's audience, make sure you subscribe, drop her a five-star rating and tell her that this episode was inspiring to you and reach out to her, connect with her. That is why podcasters do this. We yeah. want to connect with our audience. So Absolutely. drop her a five-star review, subscribe and tell her something inspirational. Oh my gosh, Rena. Thank you so much. I wish you all the success. Really. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. All right. So Katie Couric, you need to sign up. Okay. Katie, listen to Wendy. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well. you.